Jam. Yeah, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show matchups edition for the divisional round weekend. We're getting close to the end, fellas. So let's soak all of this in and have some fun today. Can't even say buckle your seatbelts. Can't say this is the marathon matchups edition. <laughs> It might end up being that, but as of now, probably not. Four games, not 14 games. But nonetheless, we're here to break all of them down, hit on all of the injuries, everything that we're looking at, try and get as deep into the weeds as we have to, so that if you are the type of person that only has time to watch one show a week, hopefully this is where you'll come each and every week. And then next year, we'll run it back and do the exact same thing. So I'm Dave Lochran at Lafayette underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D for those of you podcast listeners joined as always by Matthew Savoka at draftaholic on Twitter. Matt, what's good, brother? Hey, doing well. This is the last week where we can call it any sort of a run, right? It's usually a marathon, this a sprint, but after it's just two games, we're just like kind of, a, we're walking through, right? So at least we're running still with a four game slate. Excited to dig into this one. And I'm sorry, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Tennessee, you guys, I know Tennessee's been there for a few years, but that feels like the, uh, the Thursday night football game of these, uh, of these matchups compared to the more uh, storied franchises. Excited to dig into this one as well. Damn right, man. Yeah, I'm a little tired today. You know, I play hockey every Wednesday, and now they're scheduling our games late as shit. Like 9.30. Next week is 10.10. So, oh. honestly, man, when, when Justine left for work this morning, and, and I felt like such a loser doing this, but, I mean, did it anyway. When she left for work this morning and, and, and took our, our daughter to daycare, I went back to sleep, Matt, because <laughs> it needed to be done. <laughs> She left at like 745. I said, you know, I'm going to go pull another hour so I can be ready for the matchup show. You got to be refreshed when you're doing the matchup show, man. You got to be hyped up. You got to be caffeinated. You know, I, I know people are in chat and they're maybe less less hyped than usual. We don't have a 13 game slate here, but I know everyone's got their substances of choice here. So I'm glad that you got your needed rest for this exciting four game slate. Yeah, absolutely. Cincinnati, Tennessee. San Francisco, Green Bay, Rams, Tampa. That's going to be fun. Buffalo, Kansas City. I was thinking about it this morning before I fell back into a, you know, one plus hour slumber, Matt, that the Saturday games are going to be a lot of fun. But to wrap it up, to wrap up the weekend with Buffalo, Kansas City in a 54 point total game, can't ask for more than that. I have a sneaky suspicion, and this isn't really saying anything that everyone else isn't thinking already. But last week, we had some bad games. Buffalo, New England, shit. Uh, New England, I'm sorry, uh, Tampa Bay, Philly. At no point was that game competitive. What was the, uh, what was the other one that was? Oh, uh, Rams, Arizona on Monday night. Terrible. And even Dallas, San Francisco, sure, they had a, a chance to, to, to tie it up down right the, the score yeah. late. But that game, I mean, they were down multiple scores for the majority of that game. So... Even San Francisco as a six-point dog has a shot to win this out there in the frozen tundra in Green Bay. Every one of these games could be pretty damn good this week. 
Oh, oh, absolutely. And I was kind of uh, saying that Cincinnati and Tennessee feels like the Thursday night game, but that's only because these teams uh, over the last decade or so have not been competitive. These teams are certainly competitive this year. And yeah, like you said, the wild card matchups didn't give us a lot of drama here. So I kind of feel feeling kind of feeling like we're lulled into a sense of this could be another boring weekend. I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, I keep seeing that image of Stefan Diggs last year where he stayed on the field and watched Kansas city celebrate in the AFC championship to go to the super bowl or, or, or it was in the AFC divisional round. I forget when they eliminated last were eliminated last year, but I want to see that revenge game. I don't care about that earlier season matchup. They were waiting for this moment this Sunday night. Um, and yeah, someone mentioned in chat, are we going to talk about the uh, Saturday slate versus the Sunday slate? Most of my information today is based on the one game slates, just because it's daily fantasy. That's really what we're doing here. Uh, we can mention it over the, you know, over the course of the two game slate, but that's really where I'm focused personally. By one game slate, you mean full games slate? No, one game meaning like the Saturday slate I have information about and I'm comparing players amongst the Saturday players and then oh. the Sunday slate. I'm comparing them amongst the Sunday players, but we can do both. I, I definitely have the tools for both. Okay, yeah, because DraftKings, the, the big DraftKings contest is Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, then let's dig into that. We can know. do both. I'm I mean, yeah, we can do whatever. Yeah. I'm prepared for any of them because DraftKings didn't release salaries until 11.01 on Tuesday when I had a first look show to do. So uh, I had gone through <laughs> Yahoo for the Saturday and and uh, and DraftKings for, or FanDuel for the Saturday. I mean, I, I'm not, personally, I'm not going to hit on really anything for the Sunday individual slate, but uh, definitely Saturday I have a lot for. So let's dive into it. Before we do, yeah, El Negro Loco. It's, I, I hear you, man. You don't feel good doing it, right? But but once you get back in the bed, it's it is it is the right move, whether it's a slimy one or not. I mean, she's still gonna be at work, right? I'm still gonna be working a little bit later on in the day. You just gotta do it. Spencer said, Did Laffy hear Jared Goff names his named his son Jack? That'd be a power move, Spencer. Spencer. I, I <laughs> say that name out loud, Jordan. And uh we had one more. Jordan Vanek, our boy Jordan Vanek. Dave looks like a dude that's still overly competitive in hockey, definitely spends a lot of time in the box. I don't. No, because I want I, – I not, because I don't want to lose shifts. You know what I mean? Plus, I'm still pretty good, so I'd rather be out there. I don't want to be a hindrance on the team. All right, you ready to do this, man? You're, you're, you're implying that you might be a liability on your hockey team? Dare you. If I'm sure in the box. Good. If I'm in the box because I'm not out there producing. You know what I mean? Fair, fair. We had a sub sub last week and got smoked. Came in this week, got a a big win, blew him out. So I'm not saying I'm the reason. I'm just saying. (laughs) All right. Cincinnati, Tennessee. Cincinnati, three and a half point dogs against the Titans. Kind of a fun game because Titans had to buy, clinched the, the number one overall seed. And in doing so, gave star running back Derrick Henry a little bit of time to, to re- a little bit of additional time to recuperate here. He, um, he, he, he had contact practice the other day. There's no way. I, I know Mike Vrabel keeps kind of leaving us in suspense. There is no way Derrick Henry doesn't play this week. I'm saying it right now. I'll even go as far and, and I'll take the L feel free. Tweet me at Lafayette underscore D. Tell me I'm an idiot if I'm wrong. I'm willing to bet that he gets the the large majority of the workload in the event that he's active, which I think he will be. 
But let's kick it off with Cincinnati and start with, well, Joe Mixon, who in his first playoff game was underwhelming, but still was the clear lead back. I mean, Samaji Pirine had one rushing attempt. There was nobody else really involved at all. Joe Mixon just didn't do a ton and kind of didn't need to. Right. The game script uh, didn't really require him to do a ton. I was actually surprised. I was pretty heavily invested in Joe Mixon, so that didn't really work out last week. And the game script here doesn't bode well. I mean, they're four point, uh, three and a half point underdogs right now. We don't typically play running backs, even ones that are bell cow running backs on teams on the road who are underdogs here. But I do think Joe Mixon is viable here, either on the one game or the two game slate, mainly because so many people are going to be focused on Derrick Henry. I don't think it's necessarily a fish play to look at this and say, not only does Derrick Henry play, but if he plays, he's getting 25 total opportunities. That is going to push up the public's ownership of Derrick Henry, the excitement of of being able to play him. And then, therefore, not owning Joe Mixon on the other side is going to be somewhat popular as well. So I think he does make for a pretty pretty good contrarian play, especially because he has an outside chance of 25 total opportunities himself. You really need work in the passing game or in the in the red zone here. And, you know, his 16 total touchdowns lets you know that this is a player that they will prioritize if they get here. It's not like Tennessee's defense is a world beating defense. They're a little bit ahead of average in terms of playoff teams, but they're really just playoff team average. So it's not like the Cincinnati Bengals are going to get completely blown out here. Mixon will get his touches. I think so, too. I mean, look, I really don't envision p ryan getting a lot of work at all we you and i talked about this we talked about this a lot throughout the week not just you and me but on a lot of shows once you get into the postseason you just begin to see these running backs who are already the lead backs getting more and more work it's just kind of the way it is right like p ryan played 13 of was it what 62 snaps mixon was out there for 48 of them wouldn't be surprised if it was even more this time out when it comes to the wide receivers though and we can talk uh, uh, Sama as well. They are, they are in a weird spot. Like I, I want to refresh our ownership as well, just to see if we've got anything that uh, if we have an update that has changed since I last did one on on was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Okay, so we got an update an hour ago. Cool. Uh, pulling up wide receivers. Oh, and uh, NBA ownership projections are free today. So are NHL ownership projections. If you want to get in on that, you don't need a subscription or anything. So yeah, this is an interesting one because some of the pricing is so extraordinarily weird, especially on this, the full slate for DraftKings, where you've got Tyree Kill and Stefan Diggs Mm -hmm. uh, and Mike Evans and, and AJ Brown all in that 6k range that Jamar Chase is one, two, three, four, five, six, the eighth highest projected owned receiver Higgins at 5,700 on DraftKings is the seventh highest projected owned receiver. Tyler Boyd's down there at single digits below 10%. That, that speaks a lot to what we're looking at here, just in terms of this is not going to be a chalky stack. If you decide to go there this week. Yeah. And you got to just look at it from the most, uh, the most likely game script here involves Tennessee being up slightly, running the ball, which means that Cincinnati is going to be forced into passing the ball and you know where the ball is going. And yes, CJ Uzoma or Tyler Boyd get there in some of our simulations, but T Higgins and Jamar Chase are the obvious ceiling plays here. 
And like you said, they're kind of contrarian. So I, I'm completely fine going here, especially when you've talked about, you know, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase from week 16 to now, basically over the last month, they each have a game with over 190 yards receiving. So I, I think there's an outside chance they both get to a 20 fantasy point game. But for the most part, I'm only playing one of the two and then I'll tack on Exoma or Boyd. But I agree with you. This contrar- this stack, when it's contrarian, looks very appealing, especially on that weekend slate. Cincinnati has... A positive leverage score on our top stack tool. You look at the top stack probability, it's third to third from the bottom, but all things considered, it's not a huge difference from like it's 11% and Tampa Bay is 13%, right? Or, or the, 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 the Buffalo Bills are 16%, but they're getting a ton of ownership. It, it is, they are going to be, I think, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Matt, but it feels like in terms of an overall stack, Cincinnati, and I'm not even saying I love them on paper. I'm just talking about from a tournament standpoint, like from ability right. to get some leverage here on the field on a four-game slate. It does feel like Cincinnati is the the most live stack uh, to to do, the most live low-owned stack to, to produce this week. Yeah, I mean, so – which underdog stats or excuse me stacks look most appealing to me the buffalo stack obviously uh, in that high total game that that's obvious but then it's kind of a toss-up i think cincinnati and la are probably really really close in terms of which underdog passing game do you want to attack here in terms of tournament stacks if you made the argument for Cincinnati because you got to get to Cooper Cup or you have to make some sort of strategic decision to fade Cooper Cup when you're talking about L.A., now they look really appealing simply from a game theory standpoint. I'm not saying they're absolutely going to hit, but I do look at this team having almost 22 implied points, even as an underdog. Joe Burrow, uh, just pretty much uh, week after week, a solid projection and also a chance of getting 300 passing yards. We know where the ball is going, and the salary isn't as high. It's just a solid game theory play. No question. We had a question, too. Uh, here's, here's a fun question. I, I hadn't actually thought about this. Someone said, who has the best DFS season since the beginning of DraftKings for running backs? Then he said, I would think Chris Johnson or CMC. DraftKings was not even close to being around when Chris Johnson had that 2,000-yard season. Uh, that was 2009. So is it is it McCaffrey? It's prob it's probably McCaffrey season. I think the most I don't know, the most important seasons in my opinion were probably Bell and David Johnson's 2016 because it was so important to get their PPR value that it actually made sense as the salaries started to aggressively rise to continue to jam them in. Uh but it actually Changed, you know, it changed our fundamentals a lot. And that's why we have the arguments about Derrick Henry every year because he doesn't catch passes. But I think probably CMC is the actual answer. It is because he has the second most PPR points in a season ever behind Ladanian Tomlinson. So there's your answer. Fairly impressive. Yeah, pretty, pretty impressive stuff. It'll be interesting to see where people draft him next year. I think he'll get a little gun shy there. I'll go straight back to the well. I don't know. You can play a full season. Who cares? Anyway, um, do you have any other thoughts 
with the rest of Cincinnati. I mean, Usama had a big, big week, six, six receptions on six targets, got into the end zone. And it's not just like that's an extreme outlier. He's done it a couple of times this year, right? Like he has multiple 20 plus fantasy point games during the season. He's not exactly the type of guy that you can rely on to give you that production week in and week out. But he's also not somebody like a like a like a Ferkster or a, or a Jeff Swaim where it's three for 20 and a touchdown. He can give you that that kind of blow up game. And I, and I use the term loosely, but for a, for a cheap tight end, I think it's viable. The only question is when you stack him up against the Kelsey's and the Gronks and the Kittles, who's been, you know, we'll get into that. The Dawson Knox Higby. It's a little bit more difficult than it would be last week where you're playing these two or three game or two game slates. And the tight end position was a whole lot less strong. Yeah, it's viable, but volatile, right? There's a level of volatility to the tight end position, but there's also a level of volatility to the non elite tight ends that we, we just know from even playing season long fantasy football. We just know that these are low probability plays. I will speak to the size of the overall offense, the available production in Cincinnati. It's been high all year. In terms of the auxiliary weapons here, Tyler Boyd is sitting at 8.6 expected fantasy points per game, which is just a volume roll-up metric on a scale. We all understand fantasy points. And CJ Uzoma is sitting at 9.6 expected fantasy points per game. I'm not saying that that makes Uzoma a, a higher probability play. I'm really saying that the third and fourth options in the passing game are at a level of you can play them in terms of expected opportunity. That, that still doesn't decrease their volatility. Uzoma is a low probability play. In a lot of simulations, he scores like under five fantasy points. But to average almost 10 expected fantasy points, that means you get there with one touchdown and 60 yards or even two touchdowns sometimes enough. And that's exactly what we've seen this season. Tampa, uh, excuse me, Tennessee has not been overly impressive against tight ends over the middle of the field this season the amount of people that have not seen happy Gilmore and think that our boy Terry McBride really took his skate off during a game and tried to stab somebody with it is remarkable, <laughs> truly remarkable. I mean, how oh, have you not, goodness. how do you not know that reference? That's, that's an all time classic reference that should be just ingrained in everybody's knowledge of top Adam Sandler movies, but I digress Tennessee. Oh, I think I forgot to ask, Matt, hit that thumbs up if you guys haven't done so yet. If you're on your phone or something and you're, you know, you're in chat. All you got to do is click out of that. Hit it one time. If you forgot, all is forgiven. But uh, yeah, helps us out a ton. We got to feed the algorithm around here. We don't like to play the games, but sometimes we don't make the rules. So subscribe to the channel. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. If you're listening to the show after the fact, do that. Leave us a comment. I try and read all of them and respond to all of them. So uh, all of that good stuff. Helps us go a long way. Plus, I just like to read the comments and see what you guys have to think or have to say. All right. Tennessee. Let's talk about Derrick Henry. Pricing is way different everywhere. Uh, you know, he's the highest priced player on the slate on FanDuel and, and Yahoo. But on, on DraftKings, he's $7,500. I mean, if Derrick Henry comes in and plays a full workload, $7,500 is the, the best price you're ever going to get this guy at. 
Yeah, uh, you still need something like 22, 23 points to feel like you had a good value at that price, but that's not 30 points. That's a huge difference. So I do feel like I, I'm going to get to plenty of Derrick Henry. I'm just, I just think it's going to be one of those things where people are going to see he's back in the lineup. They're going to get excited and they're going to play him. If I'm wrong, the ownership stays pretty low. I'll go with it. I, I think I'm going to use the field as my guide here. Here's what I expect. I th- expect him to be active. I expect him to be the focal point of the offense. And if he gets going, we'll just see his normal workload, like what he used to get, where he had, you know, the last two games we saw him, he had 28 carries and 29 carries and a total of two targets. You know, that is in the range of outcomes here for Derrick Henry. It's not the most probable, I do think you want to have shots on him because there is a chance that he just steamrolls the Bengals just like he has many other defenses before him. The Bengals are the worst team in the playoffs in terms of schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. And while they lean towards being a pass funnel this year, this is Derrick Henry we're talking about. And if he's healthy, just like we kind of saw Cam Akers, if they're healthy and explosive, the team is going to lean on them, especially if the game script turns towards the positive. Yeah, dude, they lean on Derrick Henry if the game script is negative. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They, I, yeah, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't run him 35 times. But if they're down by two scores, they're still going to run it on second down pretty frequently. I mean, think about it. They had games earlier this season. I, I, a good example would be against, uh, I think it was Seattle, where they were down by multiple scores and just continued to feed Derrick Henry the rock late in the game as he wore the opposing defense down, and they ended up getting the win. This is kind of par. This is kind of standard for them. We've seen them do it so often where Derrick Henry is just a battering ram. So, yeah, we talk about being game script proof and that being PPR receiver or running back specifically. I'm not saying if you're down by 21 that Derrick Henry is going to be running it on third and 10, but – If this is a a 10-point game, I have zero concerns about that. Plus, I'm also not convinced that Cincinnati comes up at all. I I don't think there's any way. I shouldn't say that. Uh, A lot of parity in this league. But I don't think this is a spot where they're playing down by three scores or anything. So, um, yeah, I actually think Derrick Henry, and we'll see. We'll see what Vrabel says, even though it's probably meaningless. But if he's not going to be limited, I do think his ownership will come up in the coming days. But I, I'll get to a lot of Derrick Henry at 7,500. He doesn't have the PPR, uh, the pass catching upside, but it and and receptions, Matt, are worth more than than rushing attempts. But we also can't ignore the fact that when you rush the ball 30 times a game, that kind of mitigates all of that, or at least a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It's a it's a good point. You know they stick to their game plan in Tennessee. And obviously if Henry is back into full strength, we can use these full season numbers where they were third in the NFL in game game script adjusted rush rate since week nine. Those are the weeks since Derrick Henry left the lineup. They are eighth highest in the NFL in game script adjusted rush rate. Yeah. I, I think there is a very, I don't know. I almost had a very low likelihood of a blowout here, but we certainly think that there, if there is a blowout, it's probably Tennessee beating Cincinnati. And if that's the case, then they're going to just run the ball down their throat for the rest of the game here. And Derrick Henry would absolutely pay off, especially at that 7,500 salary. 
I got to say, it is shocking that Tennessee was the one seed. It feels weird. I mean, here, here's the deal. It, it matters who your division is, right? We see this for sure. a literal decade. Just with ask the, Patriots the Colts, before right? Tom Brady. Right. Uh, well, I mean, the Colts I'm are joking. a bad they team. Got, they got, go ahead. We're, I think we're about to say the exact same thing. So we're just excited here. The, the Colts are a bad team parading around like they're a decent team because they get to play the Jaguars and Texans twice. And, you know, they got exposed when they played anybody who's remotely good. And then they got beat by Jacksonville to end the season. And so not to say that Tennessee is a bad team by any stretch. You All you can do is beat the teams that are in front of you. But to say they are tested like teams in the AFC North, like the Bengals or in the NFC West, I think that's just subjectively false. Yeah. Mikazuki says, ha ha, shocking. Yeah, pretty shocking, dude. Pretty shocking. Uh, because this is one of those teams that is, as our buddy Ben Rasa says, they're like a, a random number generator. You don't have any clue what you're going to get from Tennessee each week. They lost to the Jets. They beat the Bills. They've beat some good teams. And then they built the Chiefs and 49ers. I mean, that's a good pedigree. Right. They smoked the Chiefs, didn't they? Mm-hmm. 27-3. Yeah. Lost to lost to the Steelers. Um, got crushed by the Patriots. Lost to Houston. So I, I don't think I'm saying anything <laughs> crazy here. They lost to the Jets. You know what I mean? This is a, an odd team. It's an odd team. I, I never know what I'm going to get from Tennessee. And the truth is, even with Derrick Henry on the field. But I think this is a competitive game. I like Derrick Henry. I also am not totally opposed to getting to some Julio Jones if he's going to be really low owned. And, and, and let me tell you why. We only have four games. So you're going to have to make some decisions that don't exactly feel good. And Julio Jones is coming in around 10%, which is low for, for an abbreviated slate. He, he, he had a bye week, a little bit of time to rest, which is great for a dude who's been dealing with a hamstring injury. He looked better than he has almost all season, dating back to week two in week 18. Five for, for a targeted nine times, got into the end zone. I'm not saying Julio is who he always was, but if this rest has helped him and his hamstring is actually healed up, if there's ever like a second, a wide receiver two on a team, that I would like to take a shot on. It's a guy who just a year ago in the seven games that he did play was the wide receiver too. Nobody talks about that, that Julio Jones was injured a lot last year, but he was the wide receiver too and averaged over a hundred receiving yards per game in the seven games that he played to completion. So we'll see. I'll take some stabs at nine or 10% ownership. I think that makes some sense in terms of which teams on the weekend that are favored and the passing stack is going under owned Tennessee fits the bill there. And, and then Julio Jones himself is not seeing a whole lot of ownership as well. This is where volume matters though. One of the reasons he averaged so many receiving yards per game when healthy in Atlanta is because he was being peppered with targets consistently and air yards as well. And, you know, we'll use expected fantasy points. Again, we were talking about the third and fourth options on the Cincinnati side, averaging around nine expected fantasy points per game. This is the second option on the Tennessee passing game 
Julio Jones is averaging 7.8 expected fantasy points per game. Now, A.J. Brown is averaging 16 expected fantasy points per game, a very typical wide receiver one level of expected fantasy points per game. But no one else in this Tennessee offense, including Julio Jones, has seen requisite volume that says, yeah, they're in the definitely you can play them category. So we really are basing this off of the name brand and off of the fact that he's done this before. I'm not thinking you're crazy here. I'm just saying that he needs more volume than we saw. We need Derrick Henry to likely fail here. And he probably needs at least a touchdown, maybe two, unless suddenly he has one of these uh, A.J. Brown versus San Francisco games, like 16 targets. I just don't really think that's in Julio's range of outcomes here at all. I don't like him much. I like the ownership, though. Uh, and I, I think that's fair. I, I, I don't think Julio is going to be popular even a little bit. I mean, not even a little bit. But I, I understand what you're saying, too. It, I do, but I also think he's only one year removed from that and he's been dealing with a nagging injury all season. So what I'm saying is in the off, like with Cam Akers, I mean, you talked, the guys were telling me yesterday, you talked about embracing risk with Cam Akers on the Monday game. I was on the other side of that. I mean, you were certainly right with the volume. He didn't exactly have a great game in terms of fantasy totals, but you were right for sure in terms of volume. Like, what if Julio Jones is actually 100% heading into this game? What if we haven't seen Julio Jones at 100% since week two when he had 100 and, what was it, 28 receiving yards on, on six receptions and had a clear touchdown called back in the end zone? That's what I'm saying. So it's less about the name value and more about what if this guy actually has been hobbled all season long with a hammy and he's back to full strength? If that's the case, I'm willing to sprinkle him in a little bit. That's all. I think we're actually in agreement there. And I can guarantee you, especially when they put him on IR in midseason, they were like, we don't, we don't care at all about the next four right. or five games of the season. Just come back for January 20th practice and we'll see you then. Close out Tennessee for me, Matt. So you still got players in there like Nick Westbrook-Akine and Anthony Berkser and Jeff Swain. I think the target ceiling for those players is maybe... Or if any of those players saw five targets, I would say that was a, a low probability outcome that occurred here. We didn't really talk about A.J. Brown, but I'm fine playing A.J. Brown. I think he, he has the ceiling to compare with all the other players, especially the ones that are higher salary than him. You know, that game against San Francisco a few weeks ago is the one you can always point to saying like someone in this Tennessee passing game actually does have a dozen target 200 air yard ceiling. Only one player can do that. It's AJ Brown. Uh, I don't. It's not my favorite play, but especially on that weekend slate, sixty-two hundred on DraftKings. Now it's looking pretty appealing. Certainly a projection that's better than salary-based expectation. All right, had to spend a little bit of additional time on that game just because the Derrick Henry thing is. It, it throws a wrench into the works for sure. San Francisco and Green Bay is is a good one. It's actually I I, I am a big advocate of bad weather games in the postseason. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, it can make things weird for DFS, but usually people just overhype how bad the weather is going to be. They end up fading that spot. Not, I'm not, not saying that's what everybody does, but usually when people do that, it ends up working against them, right? Because these are still pros. I mean, look at people that were worried about the weather in Buffalo the other day for Josh Allen. Monster game or the win for Tom Brady. Uh, despite it dying down 
closer to kickoff. Brady was still uh, pretty damn good, even though he didn't really need to be. So uh, no real weather here. It should be cold, but sun, if this game were on Sunday, it would have been frigid, but it doesn't really matter. So Jimmy Garoppolo, six-point dogs heading into to Green Bay, and right now the total is at, what, yeah, 47 points. Garoppolo fully practiced yesterday, so he should be good to go. Eli Mitchell still got the questionable tag, but he practiced. Or actually, he might not have the questionable tag anymore. I think it's gone. He practiced fully. Plus, he's playing anyway. He's going to get another 20-plus carries if they're competitive. Yep. I actually want to start with George Kittle, though. He was once again used mostly as a blocker. Did lead the team in routes ran last week, but that's because he's playing around 100% of snaps every week. Can we have any confidence that things can rebound for him against Green Bay this week? I don't think we can have confidence, no, because San Francisco will absolutely attempt to play a conservative style in terms of their rush rate. They are number one in the NFL in game script adjusted rush rate, and they are bottom 10 in the NFL in game script adjusted pace of play. They are slow, they are deliberate, and they run the ball. That's why you can have a game manager like Jimmy Garoppolo, who as long as they don't make mistakes and they don't, uh, they just remain somewhat accurate, then you're probably going to have an opportunity to win here. And George Kittle is one of the best blockers in the NFL. He is one of the biggest additions to the running game that you can have on an offensive line. And when you got a player like Trent Williams back on the offensive line, you're going to try to run the ball first and foremost. But the ceiling is still there for George Kittle. We saw two straight games with over 150 yards receiving, three straight games with over 90 yards receiving for George Kittle. So it's absolutely possible here. He's the third tight end in terms of salary on that weekend slate. That's kind of more appealing than the number one tight end on the, uh, on the Saturday slate to me. And, and you're talking about a player with 11 expected fantasy points. So even if they're using him sparingly in the passing game over, on average, the spike weeks are high enough to keep him in the top five among all tight ends here. So I, I think confidence is a bad way, word to put because I don't necessarily have it, but I'm going to be playing him in tournaments because of an unprecedented ceiling. Maybe Kelsey's got it. That's about it. It's just so strange that, you know, you have a, a, a big win against Dallas, right? Lo relatively low scoring game, only 40 total points, but Debo and Kittle combined for six targets. It's crazy. You know, the, the thing I have with Debo is as good, as good as he's been, I mean, this guy is just a, a dual weapon. You can use him anywhere. You can do whatever you need and he's going to produce. And it's great that as a rusher out of the backfield, he can be productive. But I hate the fact that he's being used more as a running back than a receiver because, yeah, it's been it's been successful, but I just can't help but wonder how how long can you sustain this type of production where it's 10 for 72, you know, and and you just keep getting into the end zone and ripping off these big plays on the ground. If, if there's these games where he has like eight for 35 and doesn't get into the end zone and he's only targeted four or five times in the passing game. You're paying a premium for Debo on a slate where you have so many underpriced receivers and he's sandwiched in between Cup and Adams at the top and then guys like Evans, Hill, Diggs, all of those guys who are significantly underpriced. So the real question is, uh, how much does ownership affect what you do with Debo Samuel? Because right now, at least in my opinion, Debo Samuel in a vacuum is one of the more 
one of the less appealing players at that price. Yeah, I, I'm not completely enthralled by Debo Samuel. Certainly the projection compared to salary-based expectation on the weekend slate does not look good for him. But this is one of those situations where I'm not sure I can fully fade a player who has been this efficient for this much of the season. I mean, just look at the advanced metrics from last week. In, compared, in comparison to Elijah Mitchell, who wasn't that effective on the ground, Debo Samuel's rushes were the most effective play for San Francisco all game long. He averaged 0.11 EPA per play as a rusher, which is insane, and over one expected point added per play as a receiver. I mean, these are success rates that you only see from superstars. So we're... We're defining Debo Samuel as a superstar player that we're fading because the volume projections don't look good. That always puts me in a scare, makes makes me feel scared because what we're saying is the reason he's gotten there in the past is efficiency, which we have no evidence will won't continue here. The Packers defense is definitely playing better right now than Dallas's defense was. That might be one of the indicators here. They're the third best defense left in the playoffs here, the Packers are. But Debo Samuel. It's just he's too good of a player to fade fully. The projections don't look good for him. Yeah, I hear you. I, I guess what I would say is, can you not get that production in the same ceiling from Evans, Hill, Diggs, Chase, Brown? Like, the, I, I just, the rushing upside is cool, but it'd be a lot cooler if he was targeted at at least a somewhat consistent clip. If this yep. ends up being one of those games, where San Francisco's defense hunkers down. And I think it was Jordan Vanek on Tuesday talking about this same matchup back in 2019 when San Francisco went to the Super Bowl uh, and they just ran the ball down Green Bay's throat. If we remain in a neutral game script here and Aaron Rodgers is you know, somewhat neutered in the sense that he's not just ripping off touchdown after touchdown, this could be another game where Elijah Mitchell goes for 25 carries and Debo Samuel's targeted four, three to five times. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. If the game script flips negative, you can't just run the ball. But I, I have some, I have some some worries there. Uh, and honestly, I, I'm okay with being wrong here. But I'll probably go to more of these six K guys and just hope that I can get the double digit target game for them and, and multiple receiving touchdowns. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm smiling because Chris G in, in chat is like, wow, you, you guys really are going to go the full two hours for four games. You didn't think we had it in us, did you? We absolutely <laughs> do have it in us. We absolutely do. No, That's awesome. And it's, it's one of those things, too, where because they're such a run-focused team, and we've seen when Elijah Mitchell is healthy, this team leans so much on him. Then let's, let's go back to expected fantasy points. Let's see, does that volume – moving from passing to rushing for a player like Debo Samuel affect his expected fantasy points where then he suddenly doesn't look like a, a player who's going to meet salary-based expectations. And sure enough, his average is down to 13.6 expected fantasy points. That's lower than players like T. Higgins, sort of secondary weapons on more pass-heavy teams. I'm not saying that Debo Samuel is a bad play, but I am saying that Elijah Mitchell's usage and just the running game usage in general does diminish the ceiling for all these players, particularly Samuel. And someone asked in chat as well, would you play Mitchell and Samuel on the same lineup? I'm actually inclined to say no, especially on lineups that are in the main slate. Is it possible that they hit their ceiling together? 
Sure, sure, it's absolutely possible, but I think you're you're talking about taking away rushing touchdowns from one when the other scores here. So I actually would play one or the other, probably not both. Yeah, I don't want to do that, especially again, especially when you're looking at like, okay, do they cannibalize each other's production? Yeah, they have been. And are there other receivers that are just in phenomenal spots that you can actually pay less for? Yeah. Yeah, there are. So that's where I'm we got at. Jerry Alexander back in the lineup. Like there are some things working against this, this team's receiving core. I well. agree. And I, I'll say this much uh, to close out San Francisco and, and, and as far as going to two hours now, we got to be out by, by 12, 15 Eastern. We'll be fine. That first game we had to spend just a lot of time on with the Tennessee situation, but with, with, with Juwan, I think Juwan Jennings is viable. Uh, he had five of the 25 pass. He had five targets on 25 passing attempts from, from Garoppolo last week. And I honestly don't think Ayuk is a crazy option either. These are two spots where these guys are not high probability plays, but on a four game slate, if Jimmy has to throw, you're getting them uh, at a discount. I, I certainly don't love Ayuk, but Jennings has been someone that's targeted in the end zone. Um, I like that. Recently, he has, you know, touchdowns in what? Three of his last seven games, four touchdowns over that span. Not bad for a guy that is almost at bare minimum. So I don't have an issue there. He's not, again, not a high probability play, but if you need someone cheap, maybe you're doing like a Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams lineup, and you're trying to squeeze Derrick Henry in there. I don't know if it's possible. I haven't made lineups yet. Dewan Jennings could be one of those guys that, that works. And it makes for a skinny stack situation with him and Devontae Adams. Go ahead. Nope, exactly that. And we've actually seen this is where the usage in the passing game, you'll see in expected fantasy points, especially if it gets near the red zone. Juan Jennings quietly nine expected fantasy points for a significantly less salary. You're just getting four uh four expected fantasy points less than Debo Samuel and just two less than Brandon Ayuk. I am really fascinated by what's going to happen in the backfield for Green Bay. I do think that Aaron Jones workload will come up somewhat substantially given that he, you know, sat last week, uh, sat the week before that lots of rest for Jones. Who's been dealing with that nagging knee injury. And one thing that is really, really, um, I, I think something that illustrates where he's at Matt, is that for the first time in a while, he fully practiced on a Tuesday. So I do believe that they, uh, A.J. Dillon is going to get his fair share of opportunities as well. Would not be shocked, though, if we see a, uh, an Aaron Jones role that equates to somewhere around 20 total looks. And that, at least to me, makes him interesting from a tournament standpoint, because I think he'll be one of the most overlooked running backs at an awkward price point this week and a kind of undefined role going into the postseason. Where are you at on the backfield? Yeah, so the that play kind of makes sense to me. Certainly the projection compared to his salary does not make sense. It just doesn't make sense in our, in our projection. So we, you're kind of going out on a limb there. Actually, our projections like A.J. Dillon 
compared to his salary-based expectations. But I think the narrative that we're kind of sticking with, and this is one that I tend to believe as well, is that teams go with their most explosive player. Like they've already decided the hot hand from the hot hand approach that they want. And that, you know, unless something catastrophic happens, they lean on those top players. So AJ Dillon has definitely earned his playing time in this playoff game here. Don't get me wrong, but I think it is possible that with Aaron Jones, like you said, healthier than he's been really all season, that they do lean on him, especially if the San Francisco defense sells out to stop a player like Devontae Adams. I'm not going to tell you not to play him, but I am saying that the ownership is a little high for me. The projection is a little low for me to have him be a priority play. I won't stop you from playing home favorite running backs, especially ones where you can make a case for them getting more touches. Yeah, and... We're a data-driven site at Awesome, all right? So, you know, when I start talking about the intangibles and stuff that you can't quantify it, it, it's definitely not what's normally going on here. But I do think that once you get to the postseason, odd things happen and teams will lean on somebody that, you know, has been very, very good and very efficient all season long. So with Jones, I don't know, man. He's, he's just good. Like, he's a good running back. He's a good pass-catching back. He has all of the tools to become or to be somebody that, like, if, if Jones ended up seeing 15 or 14 carries and six targets in this game, I wouldn't be shocked. But I think he's objectively not one of the best plays on this slate. You know, you just have to look at how many of these other players are underpriced. I, I just also don't know if when Saturday rolls around that he's going to be you know, 18%. I think he could be even lower than that. I'd be shocked if he was higher owned than Elijah Mitchell, to be honest. Maybe I'm wrong, but that would that would be surprising to me. He also, you know, they played this team. He had 21 total opportunities on a 75% snap share in week three against San Francisco, 96 total yards and a touchdown. So certainly not crazy. Uh, I know you won't be alone, though. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a little bit overly popular. Jones, you think? Yeah, okay. I haven't seen. Let's check that ownership. And, 17% uh, right now. That's not crazy to me. All right. All right. That actually makes I'm a little more bullish hearing that. I thought it was going to be over 20. I would just be surprised if he's only like 8% less than Derrick Henry and 5% less than Joe Mixon. I don't know. We'll see. I think it'll change coming up. We'll see. We'll see. What are you doing with the passing game? You got Devontae Adams. You got Alan Lazard, who's been a touchdown machine of late. Josiah DeGuara. Uh, we'll see what's going on with, with MVS. And then uh, I think we're getting Randall Cobb back as well. Or yeah, possibly, I saw, right? Yeah, I think that they gave him the, quote, green light or something like that. So I expect him to play here in this game. But what's, this is all about Devontae Adams, right? This is all about what you do with Devontae Adams instead of players like Cooper Cup or Tyree Kill. The 8500 salary on on uh, DraftKings is certainly not too much. He's going to need about a 23 to 26 point score to have that score where if you didn't play him, he really hurt you. How does he get there? A very typical Devontae Adams game, like 12 targets, a touchdown, 100 plus yards. That That's absolutely in the range of outcomes here. San Francisco is a average defense in terms of playoff teams in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. I certainly think they try to sell out and stop Devontae Adams, forcing uh, Green Bay to win with Jones and Dylan. 
I don't know if that's necessarily successful here. I don't think they have a single cornerback that can hang with Adams one-on-one. Do you like any of the secondary options for Green Bay? I kind of don't actually. I'm not, if I'm going to be playing a Green Bay passing attack player, like maybe as a one-off, you can play players like Marquez Valdez, Scantling, or Alan Alan Lazard, who when they did play, Lazard actually has 12 expected fantasy points over his last six weeks in the games that he started. The others are just, I get it, Deguara can score. They're low probability plays with a ceiling, a, a target ceiling of maybe five or six. So large field only and probably not as a one-off. All right. Hey, if you haven't checked out prize picks yet, no better time to do it. Jordan, you want to throw that in the chat uh, if you haven't done so yet. If you sign up at Prize Picks, not only do you get a $100 first match deposit bonus when you use the promo code AWESOMO, A-W-E-S-E-M-O, but also one free month of AWESOMO plus Platinum, $90 value, every single tool on our site, not just for football either. So like when football's over uh, or when football's not happening during the week, you've got basketball, you've got PGA, you have uh, MMA, Every sport, I don't know when NASCAR comes back, but we, you know, NASCAR, you name it, every single sport out there. And Prize Picks, which is a daily prop based contest site, has literal props, props for literally almost everything out there. Sports that you may never have even heard of. Uh, in all seriousness, though, check it out. The, the menu of props is awesome over there. You don't have to worry about juice or anything like that. You're just betting the, or taking, sorry, the over or under on any of these props, putting it into a lineup, whether it's a two, three, four, or five player lineup. If you hit five of five, you can 10 X your entry, but unlike traditional books, and this is the important part. Okay. Unlike traditional books, if you hit four or five, well, you still two X your money. You hit three or five, you still make money back. So you're not just throwing out wild parlays and trying to hit five legs every day and hoping that it hits, and when it doesn't, you lose everything. Now, it's a really awesome site, prizepicks.com, app store. You can download it. You can go to Google Play Store as well, however you want to do it. And we have the free player props tool at Osmo to help you out. We have oddshopper.com, which is amazing and entirely free. Gives you the expected win rate and our projections on every single prop. You name it. So do it. Check out the link in the description or the one in chat. Get your free month when you sign up, and you'll hear from us in 24 to 48 hours. We'll get you set up. And we'll get you in our premium discord as well in the office hours where you got our pros helping you better your game, taking your questions. I don't know why not. Why you wouldn't want to check it out. And you can do cross sport entries. That's important. Cross sport entries. If you wanted to do basketball, football, and another sport that you're familiar with, you can throw them all into one lineup and make some money. Prizepicks.com. Check it out. Use the promo code awesome and get your free month when you use that link in the description. All right, Matt, let's talk about a Rams and Tampa Bay game as we move to the Sunday slate. The Rams coming off just an absolute bludgeoning of the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, man, woof, not great. They're three-point dogs on the road, though. Tampa Bay, you can never count them out. 48.5-point total. Tom Brady continues to do what he does. But let's start with Cooper Cup, who... I mean, I looked it up when someone asked about the best season for a wide receiver for PPR since DraftKings came around. I'm pretty sure it's this year from Cooper Cup, even if you took out the 17th game. It's outrageous. It's just outrageous. I'm really 
don't I really don't remember seeing anything like this in terms of the hit probability of a wide receiver being this high. And I mean, we just came off of Devontae Adams season where he was used absurdly high in the red zone. So while the the yardage and receptions weren't there like it was for Cooper Cup this season, I mean, this is just on a totally different level. He was quiet, really, in the first half of that game. Then he completely explodes, scores a touchdown. I've said this multiple times uh, in both videos on demand on the YouTube channel and on this matchup show. Cooper Cup is in that fade him at your own risk category. I I don't know what to say other than there's a chance that he has a type of score that no one else on the slate, including the quarterbacks, hits. And if you miss him... You're completely out on t- in terms of getting money that weekend in DFS. Is that the highest probability option? No, but there's only one player who has that in his range of outcomes at the skill positions, and it's Cooper Cup. I wanted to, uh, real quickly, Matt, real quickly, because I forgot to ask you this question. Uh, did you have any interest in stacking Green Bay and San Francisco? That's a really integral part of this entire slate is talking about which stacks make the most sense, and I don't want to overlook that. San Francisco has the lowest by far. Top Jordan, you don't have to go back in the sidebar. I'm just going to do this quickly. By far the lowest top stack probability on the slate. And then Green Bay's around 12%. So it's really, really in the middle of the pack. Uh, where are you at on, on stacking either of these teams? I'm not necessarily stacking Green Bay. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Not necessarily stacking San Francisco. But if I do, I'm going to do it in a contrarian way, like Garoppolo and Kittle, a player who uh, his projections are fine, but just the The public is going to be nervous because they haven't seen it in a while. Green Bay, if I'm stacking them, I'm doing my darndest to get to Devontae Adams. I will have almost no Green Bay stacks without Devontae Adams. All right. Joshua Borez says, the shortest rest of any team traveling across the country to face a team that stops the run better than any other. Why is Cam Akers popular? Is it just a West Coast bias? Look, I'm not particularly worried about one less day of rest. Um, It is what it is. I totally agree with you, though, that the Cam Akers ownership right now seems exorbitant. I, I, I don't really get why he's even this high, and he's only at like seventeen percent. But I, I don't see why he would be the same projected ownership as Eli Mitchell. I, I truly do not understand that even a little bit, Matt. And maybe I don't know. Maybe you can knock some sense into me. But while Cam Akers was used heavily last game. You know, you love to see it if you're a Cam Akers fan coming back after five and a half months from a ruptured Achilles. That's great stuff. But Sonny Michelle did still play 40% of snaps. That's the first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all the reasons why I don't like Akers, and then I have you break down the rest of this team and also tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. Okay, how's that sound? Okay. Good? So Okay. So wait, you're you're right or wrong about the Acres and ownership not making sense, and then I'll break it down for you. Yeah, I'm going to tell I, you I why think... I don't think Acres should be a, a popular play at all, and you tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. The gotcha. the Rams have, along with Tampa Bay, the lowest game script adjusted pass play percentage or run play percentage in the league. Meaning these teams both in neutral game scripts love to throw the football. Last week, bit of an exception. Right. They went up early. They had that pick six on a terrible Kyler Murray, you know, live grenade toss out of the end zone. The game, <laughs> it was. He looked like he was throwing a live grenade, trying to yeah, save his Absolutely life. Absolutely right. There was at no point was that literally at no point was that game competitive. Sony Michelle still had 13 carries in that game. Okay. 
So they made up for 30 carries. Michelle still played 40% of snaps, 53% for acres and say what you want, but uh, McVay is somebody that will run a hot hand approach. Tampa Bay is a true pass funnel defense. Tom Brady can rack points up. So I do not see this game going nearly like it did against Arizona, which was in LA and Arizona couldn't move the football. They had negative one yards at almost halftime. Okay. So all of that to me screams, screams that this could be a bad spot with Eli Mitchell. Yes, you do have um, Debo Samuel getting some carries, but Eli Mitchell is, if, if this game stays competitive, as much of a lock to get 20 plus carries as anyone. And I'm not convinced that Cam Akers is going to be this elite pass catching back anyway. So I've said enough. There are a lot of reasons for me that Cam Akers, despite a, a somewhat solid performance in the, the wild card round, just doesn't make a ton of sense to me this week. What's all right. I'll give you a little movie quote. Here we go. I'll try to do my best Southern draw too. That is a lucid, intelligent, well thought out objection. What is that? Overruled. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. My cousin Vinny. Yes, sir. My ah, man, you got it. God, that is I, right. That was such a good accent. That that was such a good. You you. That was so good that it was actually the accent of you doing the judge that got it for me at the end. Solid stuff. Um, man. That was. That was a good accent. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I mean, and that well, was straight like well Southern. Done. It sounded just like him. Hey, hey Jordan. I grew up in not that far south, but in uh, in VA, we got we got some Southern accents that helped me learn as a kid. I, I think I think it's possible that camp makers can hit here. I completely get what we're talking about in chat here. Traveling west, not a good game script, but I do object to them saying that this is a team in Tampa Bay that stops the run better than any other team. Maybe if you're looking at a two-year sample, that might be true. But I will say in the shorter-term sample, they've actually had some problems against the run that their terrible pass defense has actually masked. Let me give you this. Over the last three weeks of the regular season, Tampa Bay ranked 27th in yards allowed per rush attempt. That brought their season-long average to 21st in the NFL. That is a place we very, very, that we don't see them. We see them in the top five in that stat. In schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, it's a little bit better, but we're talking 12th in the NFL. Not first, not fourth, not sixth, 12th. So I think that Cam Makers is certainly not as good of a play as he was last week, even though the... We actually have it on film now that he can still play, that he, he looks okay. As you said, Sony Michelle is still very much involved. But Tampa Bay quietly is one of the worst defenses left in the playoffs here. I'm not saying they're going to lose this game. I'm not saying the defense is so much of a liability that they will lose. But I am saying that the probability of all Rams players is higher than you might think. And honestly, if I'm just looking at this slate, this four-game slate overall, I want to lean on this Buffalo-Kansas City game that we're going to get to in a minute. And then this one as much as possible. And then just get to the one-off players that I trust in the most from the first two games we talked about. It's really it, it's really a game environment that I want to get a lot of players, including the running backs from the Rams. Okay. Yeah, I'm nowhere I'm nowhere near the, the Rams running backs this week. We definitely see this one a little bit differently. And that's what's fun about this show. Uh, Ager still averaged 3.2 yards per attempt in that game. Like he, he wasn't good outside. No. Of, and I know people are saying like he got plays called back. Okay, fine. But he's still overall, he had that 40 yard reception. 
So I won't say he was bad, right? I won't say he was bad, but I, I, the, the biggest thing for me is there are so many, like Devin Singletary's 5,900. Uh, Leonard Fournette, if he plays, is 5,700. Mitchell's 5,800. I just find there to be way better running backs, but we'll see, Matt. The great thing about this is one of us will be right and one of us will be wrong. Uh, <laughs> we'll know for sure. <laughs> yes, we will. Wrap up the Rams for me, and then we'll talk Tampa, and then we'll close it out with Buffalo and Kansas City. And for those of you that uh, are sticking around and stuck around last week, do the same. The Fan Up NFL contest stream is coming up right after this. You've got Greg Ehrenberg, Terry McBride, right after this. That would stay on the stream. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right here, and they're going to take you uh, up to around, what, 1245, 1 o'clock, something like that? Or, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 1245, 1 o'clock sounds about right. Huge contests at FanUp, too. I think they filled the 400K last week, which is pretty wild. So if you haven't done so yet or checked it out, hang with those guys after the show. You'll have a good time. All right, uh, close out Tampa for me, just kind of the Higbees, the Jeffersons, the Odells, and then let's talk Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, it matters how much Odell Beckham is scoring for this Rams team because, honestly, that is the absolute best way to boost a player like Beckham's confidence. The fact that he scored six times since being traded, even if his yardage is kind of all over the place sometimes, it feels completely worthwhile for uh, probably for him and for us as fantasy players here. And And if they're going to consistently get Odell Beckham that involved in the red zone, that's going to mean Cooper Cup is even more open once again, just having two elite weapons in that space when the field gets smaller is so, so valuable. So Beckham is by far my favorite option. He is not going to be unpopular because he keeps on scoring. Van Jefferson definitely has a projection better than salary-based expectations. And so does Tyler Higby. As I said, I'm going to be game stacking this game. My, uh, my secondary stacking options are more appealing here. I love Beckham at a salary, both on the one game and the two game slate here. And uh, while I'm not going to play both Jefferson and Higby in a lineup, I'm happy to tack on either one of them to a cup or even a Beckham stack with Stafford. So you already pretty much know where, where I'm at on this game. And I'm going over passing yards for both of these guys. Uh, Odd shopper, we've got Tom Brady projected. We haven't projected for 302 and a half yards. I like that. I'd be surprised if Brady does not eclipse 300 yards in this game. Uh, I anticipate uh, a lot of passing attempts. Again, both teams, the two lowest game script, unless it's changed, Matt. Last time I looked, they, if, they, if they aren't the two lowest, they're both bottom five in, in run oh, you're play right. percentage. Was it, is it both for one and two, right? Or one and 31st two. and 32nd? Yeah. So they, they, they throw the football a lot. Tom Brady – all of the, almost, I should say, all of the games where he has failed to throw for, you know, 285 or 286 yards, props at 285 and a half, have been where they've just taken a commanding lead or strange games like against the Saints where they put up zero points and the entire team got hurt. Uh, so I like that. I like Stafford over passing yards as well. And at Odd Shopper, they give you the best bet. You don't even have to look for it. Like you can click on where it shows the best bet and it'll give you all of the books available to you where that prop is. Like for me, DraftKings, BetMGM, Caesar, Sugarhouse, Fandle. The best one here is points bet, 285. But I told you the other day, this was like 282 on DraftKings. I told you it was going to come up. It's 291 and a half now. So it's just going to keep climbing on Brady. I think you get a lot of passing yards. He threw for what, 432 against the Rams earlier this season. 
Uh, we have 59% expected win rate. It's okay. 11% expected ROI, but this is just one I really like. Uh, and I love that we haven't projected over 300 yards, which is where I would put him as well. So, all right. Um, talk to me about Tampa Bay. I'll say quickly, I love Mike Evans. I love Gronk and I love Leonard Fournette and I love Brady. I, I think the Rams have real problems in the secondary right now, and there's nobody better than Tom Brady in exploiting it. And last thing, yes, he, he got sacked a couple of times against the Eagles, but this is still, and in this offensive line, I know has had some problems, but Brady generally is phenomenal at getting the ball out early if he needs to. Uh, for the most part, he's been one of the best protected quarterbacks that we've seen. The Rams' one way to mitigate their struggles in the secondary right now is their pass rush. If they can't get there with the pass rush, Tom Brady is going to carve them up. That is the that is the big concern, right? Because that's what it looked like. It looked like that Kyler Murray literally didn't have time to think right. in that game against the Rams. And it wasn't necessarily that the coverage was superior. You know Jalen Ramsey's out there. And by the way, I was the one saying that if you want to avoid Jalen Ramsey, play Zach Ertz. And you know what? Jalen Ramsey spent some time covering Zach Ertz one-on-one. So shows what I know about defensive schemes here, especially <laughs> when you get into the playoffs. Aaron Donald is scheme independent in terms of you either stop him or you don't. And that offensive line in Tampa Bay got beat up against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that may turn into a bigger storyline here if that Los Angeles Rams defensive line is able to get through because you know there's no mobility to speak of whatsoever for Tom Brady. That's how this thing falls apart for Tampa Bay, right? Los Angeles gets there, Tampa, Tampa can't stop Tom from getting sacked, and he just simply can't get the ball out. We don't see that very often because Brady is one of the best in the league in getting it out quickly, but it will. it is worth noting that all of these uh, weapons for the Tampa Bay offense have projections ahead of salary-based expectations, except for Mike Evans. So on a team like Tampa is right now, where they have one primary outside weapon, it does kind of look like you just stick Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans and figure it out from there. We definitely have Rob Gronkowski ahead of salary-based expectations and ahead of Evans relatively here. I'm not going to tell you not to play Mike Evans on a team that's favored here at home. Uh, I just don't know if I, lo I love it. I, I said I love this game environment. I think this shootout potential is through the roof here. So in that regard, play Mike Evans. But if you're comparing Evans and Gronk for me, Gronk is my choice. I just want to throw this out there. We have to pay very close attention to Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen. If, if these guys don't play, that is really bad news for Tampa and is really good news for that defensive line for the Rams. Pay, I, that is, it's really huge. And if, if th that will, that could cripple them. It could, it could cripple them. And I will, Matt, I, I honestly will change my opinion if if both of those guys are out but i also think brady is so good that if he he'll find ways to get the ball out early and then we'll have to adjust from there so hang with us on saturday and sunday hopefully we'll have more news on that all right let's talk about buffalo oh and if leonard fournette is active there's no reason not to like a guy that's averaging like seven targets per game over the last couple of months it's just simple yep. uh jordan skip hall of fame we're going too long here thanks man and yeah, like I said, the fan app show coming up next. Buffalo, Kansas City. Matt, I'm going right back to Devin Singletary, and I have no shame whatsoever. He is the guy and probably would have played 90% of snaps if that game wasn't a blowout last week. 
Give me Devin Singletary. Give me Stefan Diggs at an absurdly low price point. I know Kansas City's defense is playing better, but this total is the highest on the slate by almost six points. There's a lot to like here on the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, there is. And the highest total game is the start of it. The level of offensive ceiling and firepower from the skill positions is another part of it. The fact that these teams know each other well and have some tricks that they're probably going to be pulling out of their playbook is another part of it. I love this game for DFS purposes, for betting purposes. And just from a fan standpoint, I want to see these two games. As my friend said at the gym the other day, I wish this were the championship game in the AFC. I don't really care. I'm just thrilled I get to see it in the playoffs. These these two teams have a huge amount of respect for each other, but they want to beat the crap out of each other. That's the kind of game I want to see. On the Buffalo side, I think Devin Singletary is a great play. Expected fantasy points puts him number two among running backs on the Saturday slate and number three on the two-game slate here on DraftKings here with over 17 expected DraftKings fantasy points. They're finally turning him into the bell cow running back that we've always wanted him to be here, at least on this show. And the Kansas City Chiefs, while they did pull it together at the end of the season, they're still well below average in yards allowed per rush attempt. So I think that could be an area they exploit, especially if that Kansas City defense is doing everything in their power to slow down the big playability of players like Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen here, which is what I would do if I were a defensive coordinator trying to scheme and stop the Buffalo Bills. So obviously Singletary looks good there. I'll play some digs. I don't think they're going to stop him overall. And I'm actually surprised here. We have Davis, Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders all below or at salary-based expectations. Because of the game environment, I'm still getting into plenty of them in my latest run of of, uh, lineup building here. That may change as we get closer to Sunday. I just can't get away from this high total. I can't either. And I'll tell you, man, Beasley was 30% of snaps. Eight routes ran last week. Very, very low. Gabe Davis is probably the guy that that if you're taking shots here, I mean, I, I can't say I love him, but if you're taking shots and you're hoping for a touchdown, he's there. But the digs price is just absurdly low. And then Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox was was phenomenal last game. With him, though, and I've said this to you guys before, like Dawson Knox needs the touchdowns to get there, and you just so happen to get two of them, so that's good. Uh, I'm not in love with Dawson Knox this week, honestly, at all. Yeah, I'm looking at salary on the the four-game slate, 4,900. We have him fifth among tight ends in projection. He probably needs like a 14, 15-point game in order to really hurt you in tournaments at that price. That's possible but again you're looking at a two score game two straight two score games not impossible probably probably not happening kansas city man chiefs backfield what are we doing with the chiefs backfield given that clyde edwards alaire looks like he's going to be good to go he practiced fully yesterday daryl williams is healthy um jarek mckinnon got worked in last week and was damn effective this is one of those backfields that I just have very little confidence that I know what's going on. I can admit, admittedly say, Matt, like I have no idea what's going to happen with this backfield if all of them are active. Yep. I, I don't want to pretend like I really know either. 
And we know the Kansas City Chiefs prefer to be a pass-happy team. They are third in the NFL in game script-adjusted pass rate. Uh, and, and so none of them are must-play options, but all of them have over nine expected fantasy points in the games that they have played played in over their last six weeks. So that's not including games that they were absent here. That's enough to play them in tournaments. So when there is uncertainty, maybe I'll lean into that uncertainty in large fields and take some shots here. But I'm not going to pretend like I know what the Chiefs are going to do in this one game slate. And I do want to point out one other, one other thing as well. Someone else asked, I think it was Steven earlier, asked if there was game script adjusted fantasy points allowed. One reason we don't want to do that is because there's no actual difference between the, the excuse me, there's no actual difference between the point score later in the game or when the game is a blowout than in the beginning of the game. The reason we want to do that for things like rush rate and play rate is because that affects volume which directly affects fantasy production. So that's why we would game script adjust the rates of passing and the rates of plays before we game script adjust fantasy points. We only want to schedule adjust that over the course of a multi-game sample size. So I hope that clears that up for you. Back to this game. My favorite, if you had to ask me, is actually Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if he comes back. If he doesn't, Jarek McKinnon is my choice, but I don't feel good about that. I... Uh, Swaggy, what's up, Swaggy P? Says, even if Clyde Edwards-Alaire plays, I'm still playing Jarek McKinnon. He fits what they like to do more than the other two running backs. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it, especially if he pulls any ownership. Like, McKinnon was a complete afterthought when uh, when, when Edwards-Alaire was healthy. Daryl Williams, outside of last game, has been good. There's too many variables here. Plus, Daryl Williams had that fumble early in the game. I'm not convinced that he was 100%. He was a limited participant in practice yeah. all week. I just don't think he was healthy in that game. It was a complete route over Pittsburgh. So, uh, yeah, this is one where I would just rather not play any of them and get to many of the other underpriced running backs on this slate. I'm fine getting away from Kansas City running backs. Perfectly fine with it, especially considering that this could be another Mahomes game where every touchdown is through the air. Um, Yeah, so I I really don't feel like taking the risk. Tyree Kill's price is... Is, is stupid low. And I, I know that he's dealing or he was dealing with that heel injury, but judging from his celebration on a called back touchdown where he, where he had like a backflip where he's 10 feet in the air, I think his heel is okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think he's good. Travis Kelsey is always viable. I, I like Gronk a little bit more, but that's just a price point thing for me. I, I Tyree kill has the ceiling he has such a huge ceiling. There's no Tredavious White. Yes, the Bills secondary is still good. Um, they will find ways to make life difficult for him. But Tyreek is so cheap that when you have a guy of that ceiling and that price point, I'm going to have a very tough time not trying to get a decent amount of him. This is the biggest puzzle piece of the slate right here. The two-game slate, I should say, is Tyreek Hill's salary point. It's fascinating because it's just objectively too low. There's a way that it doesn't go well for Hill. Obviously, he's a wide receiver. The volatility of the position naturally builds in here, but you said it. The ceiling is absurd. The Bills do not have that shutdown corner that would make them the odds-on favorite by far, at least certainly in my book, to be the Super Bowl champion here. And it just takes a couple of big plays, like we almost saw last week, for Mahomes and Hill to hit. He is my favorite play in the 
Chiefs re receiving core. That's not surprising here. Kelsey is far, far from a bad play, but comparing to salary-based expectations, Gronk looks like the slightly better value. Uh, as usual, they make it impossible to play Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey together, so you'll have to decide. That's why we always say which one we prefer. And then but beyond that, you know, I do think they are going to design plays for Nicole Hardman, but we saw Byron, Byron Pringle get there last time. You can go back to the well there. He's the 17th highest salary wide receiver. He's got a projection ahead of salary-based expectations. Again, you're talking about players who usually don't hit two games in a row, but in this high total game, especially if you're stacking other stars with Mahomes, go ahead and add them on as well. Well, we got a lot of NFL content coming up throughout the week leading up to Saturday, right? We'll have multiple hours of content on Saturday leading up to Live Before Live. Sunday, we'll have a ton of content as well. I think we're probably going to do the four-hour streaming. I don't know what we're doing. Whatever it is, it's going to be a lot. Strategy show tomorrow, all that good stuff. And, of course, the Fan Up Contest show coming up right now with Greg Ehrenberg and with Terry McBride. Seriously, stick right here. Don't go anywhere. And get us one more like because we're at 99 and 100 just looks a whole lot better. Appreciate you guys hanging out. Remember, free content, NBA ownership projections, NHL ownership projections, both free today. And if you're looking to, to dip your feet in the waters over here at Osmo, it is warm. Use the promo code NFL Strategy Show, all one word, all caps. Get you 25% off everything on the site, every single sport, every tool created by Osmo himself, who has won, well, millions of dollars using those tools. NFL Strategy Show, all caps, all one word. Come check us out and join the family over there at Osmo. Until next time, we'll catch you back here on the Strategy Show. Follow Matt at Draftaholic, me at Lafayette underscore D. And uh, stick around. Fan Up Show coming up next. Peace. See ya.